Howdy folks, today we're going to learn how to shoot some of the greatest artists in the world in one of the finest concert venues on the planet, right after this. Welcome to Camera Shake, where we bring you the insider scoop on all things photography and videography, giving you a unique opportunity to stay ahead of the curve. We've spent literally hundreds of hours interviewing some of the most renowned photographers of our time, giving you access to knowledge and expertise that's not available anywhere else. As always, I'm your host, Kirsten Nutz, and if you enjoy this content, consider lending your support on buymeacoffee.com forward slash camera shake to help us create more exciting episodes for you. Your support really does mean the world to us. But without further ado, let's give it up for today's special guest, one of the most incredible concert and live music photographers of our time, the in-house photographer of the Royal Albert Hall in London, and a photographer who has shot more top artists than I can count, and the author of the book, Ed Sheeran Memories We've Made. Give it up for the one and only Christy Goodwin. Christy, how are you? Hey! <laughs> nice intro. Um, <laughs> You're also, welcome. When I was looking at it, camera shake, it's, it's a bit of a double entendre because you don't want your camera to shake really like that. Exactly. Exactly. That's exactly why people should be listening to the Camera Shake podcast. So <laughs> <laughs> we teach them all about how to not shake your camera. <laughs> yeah. Um, Christy, it's amazing to have you on the show. And I tell you what, this um, this is actually, I mean, this goes back to an introduction that a, a mutual friend of ours uh, made, Steve Brazel. He, uh, you know, I was talking to him and uh, we were talking about the Albert Hall and, you know, I was, I was telling him that I've shot the Albert Hall several times. And he says to me, oh, you must know Christy. Um, cause she has shot the Albert Hall, you know, hundreds of times and her images are all over the Albert Hall. So mm -hmm. I know that place. Now I know that place relatively well. And of course I've seen your work on the walls of the Albert Hall. Yeah. <laughs> I know. Every nook ready. Yeah. Um, I, I, I've lost count. I think I'm at the 386 now, um, shows that I've shot there. So. Wow. Starting to count. Um, I love it there because, of course, it's comfortable for me because I know the place inside out. I know how to quickly get from A to where I want to be. Um, I know the people as well, um, you know, who work there. They, I'm basically a piece of the furniture now, which it makes comfortable to shoot. You don't have to, like, show your accreditation or explain what you're doing. I just, you know, roam around and do what I have to do. And of course, it takes a little while to actually get familiar with the place itself. So for those listeners of yours who don't know what the Royal Albert Hall is, I don't think there's, there's anybody in uh, on the planet doesn't know what the Royal Albert Hall is. So the Royal Albert Hall is one of those, you know, one of the, if not the most iconic concert venue um, on the planet. It's It's been around for over 150 years now. Um, it's unusual in a sense that it's an oval shape. It's basically mm -hmm. round. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, I remember the first time I shot the Albert Hall, I can't tell you how lost I got in that place. I mean, it was the most bizarre thing. <laughs> what was that like for you? Same here. Um, I remember the first show was kind of a rock show. I had to shoot for the Albert Hall. And I kept running around in circles and I, every time I thought I want to get there and I, I, I could see where I wanted to be, but I never got there. So I kept running around and in the end, I guess I gave, I just gave up. I just shot what I could, but it's so simple 
but when you enter there the first time, it's very complicated. And I also see it when the audience comes and you see the same people passing by with their ticket and they're still looking for the door because everything has a different name. This part is called uh, the doors and then you have the rows and and it's very confusing if you don't quite know where to go. But now I really know um, basically inside out. Yeah, I remember the first time I the first time I shot a concert in there, um, and I shot um, all the concerts I've shot in there were classical concerts, so um, mm. you know, choir performances um, mm. and orchestral performances. But mm. I remember, the, I mean, the first time I was in there, it was just the most bizarre thing. You know, I mean, first of all, you you walk along the corridor, and all of a sudden, you find yourself in the same place that you just came from. You just go, "What is mm -hmm. going on here?" Mm -hmm. Exactly, <laughs> that's, that's what happens all the time. Um, it's also, I think, for quiet concerts, it's it can be very tricky to shoot there because the, the crowd is really used to quietness. It's all about the sound. I once shot uh, a gig there, uh, which was like dead quiet and there was no music. It was just somebody talking. And all I could do is wait for the applause and then I could shoot. Otherwise, I could and. I have my camera always on silent in the Albert Hall, but I couldn't. I just couldn't. Every time I did a click, people were like looking up. So I had just every time applause, I could shoot a bit. It was so weird. It's also, I think sometimes people are um, mistaken. It's a very difficult hole to shoot because of the oval. There are no straight lines. There's nothing you can anchor yourself. It's, it took me at least, I think, a good year before I sort of <laughs> cracked it and got the right angles where things kind of looked normal and things on the side didn't get out of shape. Um, it's not such an easy hole to, she to shoot, I think. Um, I thought in the beginning, oh, this is a piece of cake, but it wasn't. Yeah, it's. Uh, I agree. The acoustics in that place... Uh are incredible it's you can mm. really hear a pin drop um and of course i mean that's what makes the abbott hall one of those you know great concert halls in the world um but yeah. it is you're right it's very difficult to shoot um i mean the thing that stumped me the first time was the sheer distances in that place and the sheer amounts of stairs oh my god know. you know it's uh well the sheer amount of stairs and the lack of elevators <laughs> It's oh, just... yeah, and I never take an elevator anymore because I was once uh, stuck in it uh, half a gig. But, um, yeah, the stairs, it's, and, you know, you go from all the way from the bottom and then you have to run all the way to the top and then you have to back, I mean, the steps, my Fitbit really works hard there. Also special is when you walk on the stage. I don't know if you've had the opportunity. There is something, I, I can't explain it, but you just feel all the people who have ever stood there, you just can feel that energy. Every time I walk on that stage, I think like I get goosebumps. There's something yeah. still living there. Oh, absolutely. It's it's one of these things. You know, I grew up in the south of Germany um, and, you know, you sort of, if you're into music and you like music, and especially live music, you know, you, you, you know about the Abaton, you've seen it 
loads of times on TV, you know, mm -hmm. and you've watched your favorite artists perform there, your favorite band, you know, their iconic performances like the Beatles, for example, yeah. and all yeah. the, the comments about rattling the jewelry and the, and all that kind of stuff. So it's it's got all of that history. Yeah. And yeah. the uh, yeah, the first, I remember the first time I walked up out on that stage mm -hmm. and you just look around and you go, whoa, I know. That is just incredible. I'll tell you another funny thing. So um, I used to be um, a session musician. So before before I went into photography, I was basically my main job was music. And yeah. of course, when you grow up, especially when, I think it's one of these things, funnily enough, you know, I think when you're in London, maybe sometimes you don't necessarily appreciate the the gravity of what the Albertal is, but certainly, you know, growing up in the South of Germany, I mean, it's one of the, it's every musician's dream. You know, you want to mm -hmm. play at the Albert Hall, um, mm -hmm. Madison Square Garden, and there's this, uh, mm -hmm. you know, and the Sydney Opera House or something like that. There's like a, there's <laughs> yeah. a handful of, of venues that, yeah. you know, you think, oh man, one, one day, you know, one day. And I made my musical debut at the Albert Hall, not as a guitarist, because that's what I studied. Um, but wait for it. I played a plastic, a red plastic trombone made for kids. <laughs> and that was, um, yeah, that was when uh, my, my oh, daughter, she was, yeah, she was, my daughter was four, I think four or five, um, when she performed uh, at the Albert Hall for the first time with her, with her group as part, as part of a larger concert. Um, yeah. And although I was photographing the whole show, I yeah. basically had to help out with um with her group called the music kids and so um i had to help out with you know back them up with some plastic trombone playing and that was my debut and my mom's in the audience oh. <laughs> yeah, my wife's there oh, that's <laughs> nice. so yeah that's not nice not exactly what i had in mind when i thought one day i'm gonna perform at the albert hall <laughs> well <laughs> at least you got to perform there well sort of yeah well, sort of yeah 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 yeah. The other thing that's that's really um that's quite mind-boggling in there is it's just the sheer distances. I mean, not only the sheer distances in terms of having to walk the distances in there and cover them on foot, but also just shooting across, you know, from the back. If you're in the back and you're shooting across to the stage or you're you're high up, um, there's some some serious distances to cover in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um I try to avoid the distances, of course, sometimes it's impossible. Um but there are two, there's two ways I have to shoot always. There's always two parts. There's always the one where I do the artist uh, with Albert Hall as a backdrop. And then there's a part where actually the Albert Hall is the feature and the artist is the backdrop. So when you, like from, I'm going to speak Chinese now, but when I start from door K, yeah, that one, uh, which is basically opposite the organ, um, that door. Then you have basically the the nicest view of the Albert Hall, and you can't really make out who's on stage. But that's what I usually shoot, and then artists actually like that, especially if you have good lighting, and if the crowd is lit, um, you have this magnificent hall then in front of them. Um, but of course, when you have to work um, for an artist, they also want their pictures uh, close up. Then you have to try to get closer, of course. You can also shoot from the side wings, from the 
handicap door is close by shooting from the organ is always a good one because then you have that effect of um the artist first and the the crowd and usually when the front is then lit uh, i've had that many times people saying oh i can see myself sitting there uh, watching the artist um yeah that's usually the interesting points of course all the way up um when you shoot down like that but then the hall really has to be well lit because otherwise it's just a dark pocket. Uh, but that's also a very nice picture. Yeah. So, yeah, there's, there's a fantastic ceiling. Um, that's a mm -hmm. real feature mm -hmm. in the Albert Hall. That's, yeah, and it and looks amazing when it's lit well, it looks amazing. When it's lit well, and then you make the combination of like basically shooting those mushrooms if they're lit well, um, and then down like that with, then you have the lights here from, the galleries and then the lit um, usually there's then a difference between the color of light there and there you can really make like a painting like picture then yeah that's what we try but yeah you need light that's the the key there yeah it's again and I, you know I, I shared an experience in there um, I've had um, some shows that I that I photographed that were amazingly lit and it was incredible mm -hmm. um, and then I had some shows that were really dark, mm -hmm. you know, where everything is, everything kind of falls in just on the stage and, and virtually yeah. almost nothing, none of the, the rest of the halls actually did. And then it's difficult. It's much more tricky. I know. And I sometimes find that such a shame. Also, you have often bands who come, and I understand that, of course, because they're on a tour and every city they play, it's the same uh, setup they do. But they cover the, the beautiful organ why do you play in the Albert Hall and cover that? What is the attraction point of the Albert Hall? Or you put her in the dark. Why are you playing in the Albert Hall? I mean, sometimes I wonder if it's well thought through or if it's on purpose, but it's such a shame. It's sometimes such a waste um, that you just can focus on that little, <laughs> I see that then as a little frame of course, uh, the stage only. It's a shame sometimes, but yeah. So when you, when you photograph uh, bands or performers, um, at the Albert Hall, um, how much do you, how can I put this like, how much of the, of the actual gig do you take in or do you completely switch off and turn into photographer mode? Um, yeah. Yeah. How does it work for you? Um, I don't see anything of the gig. Um, I have that often when I come out and, and there's somebody I know and they say, oh, they played this or that. <laughs> I didn't hear it. Um, the thing is that I, you need light. So I get, I go in, I switch off and I listen to the rhythm of the light and I try to sort of compute because there's always, there's a sort of a rhythm and I try to follow that and I just let myself be guided by the light, by the whatever light show that's happening. And I can, after the show, I can tell you exactly what the light show was like and what happened and in, in which tempo it went, but I can't tell you what the artist did. Well, sort of, it's more, I would get more guided by the light than by the, I don't know why, but that's how I shoot. And it makes perfect sense because usually, um, those light shows are kind of in in sync with you know the, mm -hmm. the rhythm or the mm -hmm. pulse of what's going on um 
on the yeah. stage. Of course, yeah. light shows like that can be very challenging as well, because, you know, we're talking about rapidly changing exposures, for example. Yeah. So what I want to get into also a little bit is just the technicalities of actually photographing mm -hmm. a concert like that. Because I know, you know, from my own experience, um, when I speak to a lot of other photographers who may be predominantly landscape photographers or portrait photographers, mm -hmm. the, the sort of reaction I often get is like, oh, you know, I don't really... I don't really shoot concerts because it's so difficult. Everything's changing all of the time. Um, how do you deal with that uh, when you've got lights flashing here, pyrotechnics going off? Um, you know, uh, how do you deal with that purely from a sort from a camera setup point of view? Yeah. Um, well, I always get very nervous when they talk about technical stuff because I can't really. Uh, explain it. Um, I don't think that I, I have a book that you can follow the steps. It's uh, intuition, I think, and it's listening to the light show. Now, I learned photography before digital, so analog, and um, I learned about um, light. And we actually in school had to learn to measure light with our eyes, also with a, a light meter, but mostly with our eyes and we got sometimes tested saying like, what density is it now? Uh, what do you think it's now? And so I've got this little computer in my head that's already an advantage, of course. And that's why I think it's so important for me to understand the light show because that I compute that, but I don't compute that thinking. It's like an automatic thing that happens here. And, um, it just it I just get guided by the light and yes I have to work very fast and I uh, immediately can feel it's basically after the first few beats you sort of know the rhythm that the light is going to go the strength of the the beams and whatever and yes every song it changes but there is a sort of every um, light architect as they call themselves um, have this distinct way of doing that in that first song you already know what the rest is going to be like and then uh, i know exactly what aperture i'm like for instance if there's a lot of people uh, on stage of course i open my aperture because i want to get everybody crisp but after that it's just rolling my speed and it's it, it the minute something and I don't think about it and I cannot say what speed I'm shooting at it's automatic it's like I go this way that way and and I get it and it's very hard to explain because it, it all happens in here and a lot of it is just intuition it's one of the most difficult things for me I remember when I first started shooting concerts um so just for context, uh, for context, I, you know, like I said, I used to be a musician and uh, my first sort of foray into photography was really, I just basically stepped off of the stage and started photographing what was going on on stage. So it's relatively, you know, in that respect, it was relatively straightforward. Um, but I remember, you know, when I first got into the slightly more technical side of things and, you know, I dealt with the uh, exposure triangle and everything else. And I kind of thought, how do you like, how do you, like, how do you control these three aspects this fast in a situation like that? And, you know, it's just like you mentioned, you, you mentioned you're controlling your speed. And that's, that's actually something I grew to learn also was that um, if I make the shutter speed, the main 
aspect of what I can change with my thumb on the thumb wheel, basically, mm -hmm. then I can mm -hmm. very quickly change the exposure yeah. just with a flick yeah. of my thumb. Yeah. And that's yeah. that's really, that's the key to me. And it was, um, I remember speaking to David Bergman at one point, um, we were talking about the second aspects and he goes like, oh yeah, that's, you know, that's what I do. And I'm like, oh, right. Okay. Excellent. So yeah. I haven't screwed that one up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, I think that's the, the, the most, the, well, the easiest way to go, um, go forward i don't of it it can happen that i change my aperture midway but it's not something that you just that, that goes too fast to continu continuously rely on that so the only thing that you can actually very quickly change is your speed and that's what i do and sometimes when it goes very fast i do get the hit on the very light when I close it completely down and then I know it's going to get dark again. So I'm already rolling before it gets dark. It's just, this finger goes very fast. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's, it's, it's like a, it's a, it's a little dance on the back of the, yeah. on the back of the camera. Yeah. But again, the advantage being that you're only really controlling or you're only changing one aspect of the exposure triangle and that allows you to react quickly and, yeah. and react to the changing lighting conditions. That's really key. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, let me just jump in real quick to tell you about the amazing sponsor of this episode, Platypod. Platypod offers innovative camera support systems designed to unleash your creativity. With their stable, versatile, and portable solutions, you can capture stunning shots like never before. And I'm not just saying that. As the host of the Camera Shake podcast, I can personally vouch for Platypod's incredible products. They've become an integral part of the show. In fact, I'm surrounded by various Platypod products holding up lights, cameras, microphones, and so on. It's really helped to transform the way I make the show and the way I shoot at home, in the studio, and on location. But don't just take my word for it. Explore Platypod's website at www.platypod.com to discover their range of products, including the Platypod Extreme, Platyball Tripod Heads, and the brand new handle, of course. Make sure to follow Platypod on Instagram and Facebook at Platypod Tripods for exclusive updates, tips, and giveaways. By choosing Platypod, you're not only investing in your photography, but you're also supporting the Camera Shake Photography Podcast. Thanks again to Platypod, our amazing sponsor. Platypod, where innovation never sleeps. What was your journey into concert photography? Like, how did you, how did you get into concert photography in the first place? Well by accident really uh because i started out uh as a fashion photographer did that for two years um then shot more like editorial stuff and um like for uh magazines and newspapers and uh but i always shot everything so i had a friend who was in a band and i went to shoot them when they were performing and i gave them the pictures and unbeknownst to me, he sent those pictures that I had taken of that band uh, through to the manager of status quo. And so one day I got a phone call um, and this person on the phone said, he's the manager of status quo and he want to hire me. And I didn't believe, I thought somebody was playing a prank on me. So I put the phone down. Um, but then I found out it was really uh, the manager of status quo and he really wanted to hire me. So I had to grovel my way back there. Uh, so he hired me and um, almost 20 years later, I'm still working with them. Uh, but they gave me basically my first break. I had no clue whatsoever what I was supposed to do. 
it was really being thrown into the deep end. Um, I arrived there. I remember there was a festival in Holland. They, he wanted me to do some uh, backstage stuff and then shoot the whole show. And and I had no clue what was expected from me. Um, I was there backstage. They were just each doing their own thing. And I thought like, what do I shoot? What is appropriate? What 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 does anybody want to see? You know, it was like a, a wild card for me. Um, then the show started and that was even more mind blowing because I felt like I was a headless chicken running around trying to capture everything. And I knew I couldn't capture everything because things were happening here when I was shooting there. And I remember I got out of that gig so frazzled. And I, I remember saying, I have nothing. I have no good pictures, nothing. I had nothing. And, um, I did do some edit on the pictures and of course, because I was hired, I had to send it through and they loved it. They even put it on a DVD uh, cover and I'm like, okay, <laughs> maybe I did something right. I don't know what I did. Um, and then the next um, was Joe Satriani. Um, he hired me again, running around like a headless chicken because he's also very expressive and you know, the, the, the light in his shows is all over the place. So there were two tough ones to start with, but that's how I started. And then um, I I sort of thought I would like to do it. Um, and then I started shooting little clubs and, you know, more got more space to uh, for failure and mistakes and made many mistakes um and built slowly my way up my way up and then one day i found myself uh, shooting taylor swift katy perry usher and like how did i get here <laughs> what happened um but yeah that's kind of the ride i went by accident and really really unprepared and not knowing what i was doing you mentioned Taylor Swift. I mean, Taylor Swift. Your Taylor Swift image is one of the most iconic um, images I think um, that I've ever seen. I know it's a Katy Perry image. I'm talking about Katy Perry. Uh, yes, her firework. Oof. Yeah. Yeah. That I was, always uh, I always confuse both of them for some reason. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <What else? laughs> um, that was that was a very tough one because um, that was in Belfast. Uh, that was the beginning of her uh, prismatic tour. And we, well, I had seen with the set designer, so she was going to go from the B stage, walk around uh, front stage, and then there was supposed to be um, fireworks, which was like fireworks because she's singing fireworks. But it was uh, made in it Italy, those um, pyros, and they didn't arrive until just early afternoon of the gig. So we had done no Everything had been, you know, we had done a week of rehearsals. I knew exactly what was happening, but I had no idea what the pyros was going to be. So basically I had to guess um, the strength of the light of the pyros to get that right. And also I had seen, because the set designer had like a sort of um, a clip where he simulated what it would be like. So I knew that every time she said fireworks, every time on the fire, the pyros would go off. So, 
<laughs> when she walked down the thing, I was singing along with her, but really loud. I think I was even louder than her because I didn't want to miss that fire, of course. So there I am with my camera singing out loud in between the crowd. And I really, I'm, I'm never really faced or scared or nervous, but that I knew that was the picture they wanted to send out to all media. That was the picture. They kept saying that, you know, that's the picture we want, we want. And I thought, if I fuck that up, I mean, that's the end of my career. That's, you know. Um, and I kept singing fireworks. And so um, at the moment she was, so I'm, I'm singing along with her. And even before the fireworks, I click and I do four clicks. And at that time she has turned her head back because she hadn't seen those pyros either. And she was curious what that looked like. So instead of singing front, which was supposed to happen, she turned her head and she had her back to the crowd. So I had no pictures anymore. So I had four clicks, I had four frames and that was it. And that was the longest walk from the pit to backstage to go and see what I had. Oh my God. Because I had no idea. I had no idea if the light of the pyros had bled everything out and it was, but it, I had it by luck. It's sheer luck, pure luck. It was sharp, lucky, it was not overlit. And I didn't edit anything. I just sent it out like that. But that was, I think lovely. sometimes when you, when you're shooting in, in those extreme environments, you do need a good dose of luck sometimes, you know? Mm. Oh, totally, totally. Because people always say, oh, no, no, it's because you're such a good photographer. No, that was pure, pure luck. I know that. And because I knew the song, of course. <laughs> yeah, and of course, you know, I think over time, as you, you know, so you mentioned that, you know, that long walk back to see what you actually captured. Mm. And, that, you know, I mean, I remember that too. It's the, you come back and you look at the images, you go, uh-oh, no, they're not, you know, they're either too dark or... Mm. overexposed yeah. because you know whatever and yeah. uh, every time that happens i always take that as a learning experience because you you just you know you you learn from that and you kind of go okay well this has happened because that happened and that all of that experience then builds up the next time you're in a similar situation yeah and i'm thinking like for instance what i find very difficult to shoot is um, very small clubs like very mm. small pops as we call them here in the uk or you know pop gigs they're usually terribly lit you know, yeah. and uh, and very often they lit with like LED panels, and yeah, it's yeah. usually it's usually red and purple or something like yeah, yeah. that. Totally screws no the skin. Yeah, there's no pit. No there's beer next to your camera, swinging, yeah. and you can see that coming closer and closer. And sometimes people say, "Oh, take a picture of me," and they they pull you around. I know, but that's I think that's the best school because you you just said. Um, you know, when you have uh, fucked up your picture, uh, you learn from it. Yes, when you shoot in, you know, it's not lesser famous people, but just people who are starting out as well. You have room to make mistakes. If you make mistakes with people like Katy Perry or Taylor Swift, you're done. That's done. Mm. You don't have room for mistakes there. It's and and that little that world is so little that your name will be immediately on a blacklist but when you play in clubs and i've done it like for oh, at least 10 years 
you have room to make mistakes and that's where you learn the most of course and they're also the most difficult situations because like you said it's underlit and and you're, you're standing next to beer and and everything is happening at the same time but that's the best learn school and i think everybody who wants to get into music photography just get your feet wet in local clubs pubs whatever um and and make those mistakes to learn from because once you get everybody wants to shoot top act and i understand that i i understand the lure of shooting your idols but you don't have room for mistakes anymore then then you really have to know what you do actually yeah the pressure is certainly on when it comes oh, to that yeah. Now, your portfolio, and I mentioned it in the intro, your portfolio is, I mean, it, it reads like an incredible list of, you know, the the the, the, the most famous um, artists you could possibly imagine. Um, is there a particular performance or artist that, that stands out for you as, a, you know, as a memorable or, or challenging shoot for you? No, because I think every, every artist I've had, the pleasure of working with has contributed something special to my whole experience. Um, sometimes it can be because of the personality of the people. Sometimes it can be because of the show. Sometimes it can be because of the crew around them that I became friends with the crew. Um, every, every artist has brought something special. Um, there was one gig though, um that was i can't remember in which year heart which uh was a band i used to listen to when i was young and uh, they hired me uh to do the stills for their dvd which was shot at the albert hall and that was for me a pinch me moment i remember i stood um the two sisters were standing ready to go on stage and I was there with my camera uh, taking pictures and they both turned to me and they said, yes, we're doing it. We're playing the Albert Hall. And they, they said it to me um, in my camera. And for a minute I thought like, huh, look at me. You know, I used to listen in my little room to their records and now they're excited about playing here in the Albert Hall and I'm part of it. And I thought, huh. How did I get here? <laughs> and that was a very nice uh, moment that was like sort of, it snapped me out of the, because for me, everything is, I'm very much on the job. I, um, it's not that I don't enjoy it, but I'm very serious about my job and it's all, you know, I don't fool around. But that was a moment that I actually, broke that wall uh, for a minute. I put my camera down and I just looked them walking out. Instead of taking pictures, saw them walking out into the spotlights and I thought, huh, here I am. So maybe that was uh, a very special moment for me, yeah. Do you, uh, do you do a lot of research into, into the artists, like into their music before you shoot them or? No, because um, I, I did in the very, very beginning and the thing was that um, I would look up, uh, you know, sometimes they do a tour and they've been in other cities and I would look 
what they had shot in other cities. And then I would stand in a bit and I could feel myself trying to get those images that I had seen before. And I, I lost often good moments because I was trying to copy those photographers and I completely changed that. I thought, no, I have to find my own voice. If I'm going to copy somebody else, I mean, then they can use those pictures. I don't have to be here. So I completely changed that. And now I, I don't want to know anything about it. I don't want to see those pictures. I don't want to be influenced. I want to be basically like a, an innocent child walking in and experiencing it, everything for the first time. Um, and I feel that's the best way I can work. Um, and then it's also authentic. I, I dare to shoot things that um, maybe are a bit um, different, but that's because how I see it and not because how I've seen somebody else see it. So, yeah, never have research. And you mentioned you mentioned earlier, um, you know, that sometimes there's a particular um, an expectation to get a particular Do you get a shot list from the artist beforehand or how does that normally work? Oh, no. Um, I've, I've actually been very lucky in that. Um, usually, uh, clients who hire me, they say, you just do your thing. And that's the best, of course. Um, we do sometimes have uh, people who want certain uh shots like for instance it could be that the certain brand has to be incorporated in the picture or little things like that and that's okay i mean um as long as i don't have to think too much I, because i go in such an automatic mode if i have to think too much i lose things i'll you know i'll get too focused on oh i have to get down no and i have my own rhythm um, I always have pictures of every member of the band, um, the whole band together, key moments. Um, I just, uh, it's all automatic these days. I just, spot. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Just hang on one second. No worries. Okay, cool. Sorry. So to deal with a slight technical issue here, but it's, it's cool. I'm just going to cut this out <laughs> at the end. No problem. Uh, let me just make a note of the timer. 47. Okay. Cool. Um, so as a visual storyteller, because essentially that's how I think that's how you can probably see mm, concert yeah. photography is really telling the story of that particular performance yeah how do you capture the energy and the sort of you know the feeling of that of that performance uh, visually um the, the, it's very okay there, there's two ways that you can um look at the performance uh you can just see with your eyes or you can feel and see with your eyes and i think that the 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 feeling is very important as well um, because when there's once those artists come on stage there's a certain energy um, I always call that the magic bubble uh, 
uh, these people all of a sudden transform into performers. There is uh, there's a certain energy, and when you're close by in the pit, you feel that energy, and you just have to let that absorb you, and then automatically you will take the pictures that are necessary. Um, it's I think it's very important not to go into because it's a very creative uh, environment not go into technical not think about um you know all the things you have learned in school but more explore together with the music and with the energy that you feel um on scene and always be ready I think that's also something that I see other photographers sometimes are like, you know, in between songs, you see all the heads go down and they're scrolling and looking at the moments in between the songs. That's where you get the priceless pictures. I think that's the, the real gems sometimes, um, where they're for a second, not in non-performer mode. It's beautiful. I think so never put your camera down. Yeah, that's what I love about behind the scenes images. It's, you know, when people mm. let their guard down a little bit. Um, mm. And, you know, the thing that's, that's always fascinated me about live performances in general, and that's, you know, music and, you know, I'm including things like, you know, theatrical performances or even, um, even actors performing, you know, in front of a camera. It's this thing where they're almost like, very often you find there's like a split personality. Like, you know, they may be very quiet and humble, you know, backstage, but then they step onto the stage and all of a sudden they become this completely I different I personality. I think that's the beauty of it. Um, I had a, an occasion actually, um, it was embarrassing. Um, it was with Katy Perry. I think we were in London and there was um, some people she had to meet and I was going to be there to take pictures of her, of her with the group. And so this group of ladies are there and I think we're waiting for Katy Perry. So I'm standing there waiting. And this woman next to me comes and leans over and says, when are we taking a picture? And I said, when Katy comes and she said, but I'm here. I hadn't recognized her. I stood next to her. So things like that do happen. Um, I always, I, I, I kind of, I'm always a bit wary uh, backstage because just because of that difference, that's their private uh, space where they can still a little bit be themselves while on stage it's performance for everybody. And I'm always very wary and I always prefer when they say it's all right to shoot now than just barge in and start shooting. So I always look for the right moments. Um, and usually just before they go on stage, I think that's always the best moment. They are all pumping themselves up um sometimes they do something special in a circle those moments i like yes yeah, it's, it's that adrenaline rush just before you go on yeah. stage that's that's yeah. really you know that's uh, it's one of the it's, it's a little bit like a drug really you know and i, I remember it like from my from my performance days you yeah. know i don't perform as much uh, nowadays anymore but you know yeah. but certainly back in the day um it's, it's one of these it's one of these things. It's a little bit like, you know, for those for those listeners and viewers who may or may not have have smoked cigarettes in the past, I don't know, but it's a very similar. You know, it's a very similar experience. It's just that hit, you know, um, that you that you experience uh, when you yeah. when you go on stage. 
and um and I remember like you know I've I've been asked a lot whether you know I feel nervous when I go on stage and yeah. I always thought yes I do I'm actually really nervous before I go on stage but I've always thought that that's really necessary because it it really keeps your brain switched on and you know you you take you take in everything that's that's happening you really like yeah. you know you're on you basically switched on to what's about to happen I always thought like the day I'm not nervous anymore yeah. when I go on stage is probably the day I should quit <laughs> which is kind of well I think it differs for um artists to artists I know artists really um yeah they need that um pumping up you know and then you see the excitement coming alive and then you have artists who almost they get out of their chair and they walk on stage and they give a marvelous performance and you think like how do they do that um it all dif differs from personality to personality i think um i've rarely seen artists being very very nervous um no i can't think of anybody but i do know uh, quite a few who like um some even uh like to make a little song and dance uh some say a prayer um but some have like this sequence of cheers that they do and it, it gets louder and louder and louder and that's just like pushing up that adrenaline before they go right on some do that but yeah like i said some just like walk on like nothing's happening i'm going to the shop and now i'm going to perform <laughs> it's, it's strange I've always, yeah i've always liked a little um little ritual you know for going yeah. stage that it certainly yeah. helps just to yeah you know just to kind of just to make that break um yeah, yeah. it's i've always also i've always found that funny you know when you have somebody somebody come off stage after an amazing you know an amazing performance and just come off stage and go like okay well pizza anyone yeah <laughs> it's like, okay yeah. i'll just switch that off <laughs> yeah when they come off stage it also depends a lot on the crowd if the crowd is really into it they come off stage and they're buzzing and when the crowd is like quiet and you know then it's a whole different uh, situation then it's like uh, pizza anyone uh it really depends uh, on the crowd i think the crowd really feeds the artist yeah absolutely yeah it's it's, it's a sort of energy exchange i think it, it, it goes yeah. both ways of course you know if yeah. if the art if the artist or if the performance is sort of lackluster then that has an immediate impact on the way that the crowd responds um, and of course it's sort of a feedback system, you know, if you, if you're performing and you can see the crowd's not really into it, then yeah. that puts off a dampener on your own performance. Yeah, and so it just, yeah. it, it's, so it's like a, you know, it's like a cycle. It just carries on yeah. like that. Um, and yeah. likewise it can, it can work the other way too. You know, I certainly remember like days where I didn't really feel like it or something had happened. My mind wasn't in it, you know, and, um, you know, and you walk out on stage and the, the crowd's just there and they're with you all the yeah. way and that then. You, you feed that, you know, that feeds your own energy. And so again, yeah. it turns into this, into this loop. Um, yeah, that, that's actually very true because I've had uh, artists who just before they go, you know, they've been unwell the whole day and they just, you know, they have to go and do it. And then the crowd is wild and that just, you know, you can't tell they were unwell all day. They just like all over the place, full of life, by giving the best gig ever. 
um, it's fascinating, really. I think that what happens there on stage, it's just magical. It's fascinating. And it's the whole combination of the performer, the audience, and the music, and the lines. <laughs> yeah, and the venue, you know, to, to an extent as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If it's so in the Abbott Hall, when you're photographing a band or an artist, where are you typically in the... Um, in relation to the stage, are you in the pit right in front of the stage or do you move around a lot? Oh, I move around all over the place. Um, if I work for an artist, um, I will usually start uh, in the pit. Um, I will shoot from, you know, when you go out of the pit, that door uh, as well, because then you have sort of the stage and a bit of the crowd that's sitting there which is nice um and then i do my tour around um usually the the m door the k door the j door um then i go all the way upstairs i also always do that one then i shoot one uh from the stage as well then i shoot from the organ um, so but basically, yeah, I do a lot of steps. I usually am over my 10,000 steps when I shoot three kata. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'll tell you a funny story. So the, um, I, the first time I shot the Abbott Hall, I, I woke up the next morning and I literally couldn't feel my legs. I mean, it was, <laughs> uh, I, you know, and so, um, and then the following year when I got to shoot the Abbott Hall again, I thought, right, okay, I'm going to train for this. So I literally went to the gym for three months beforehand. <laughs> <laughs> and of course now, you know, now I sort of, you know, I know the venue much better now. And so it's, um, you know, I kind of know what and how to, how to do it. And also what yeah. kind of shoes to wear is the other thing, you know, yeah. that made a huge difference. But yeah, I was the first time it was such a, oh my God. I mean, I literally, I remember waking up and literally not being able to feel my legs. I'm thinking, <laughs> God. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. I know that. Yeah, and especially um, often <laughs> I know it because you do so much and you go downstairs and then the stairs up like that and then you're on that floor. And and sometimes I don't know why I do that. I think I'm a bit of, uh, I like to punish myself. Then I think towards the end, oh, maybe I should go upstairs again. And then the first time I run upstairs and then the second time I do that, by the end I get to the top, I'm like, I shouldn't have done that. <laughs> and then I go down again. <laughs> One of my favorite places in the Abbot Hall is actually the underground garage. Um, Beautiful, isn't it? It's incredible. I know. I know it's so few people know about that. Um, it's beautiful. Yeah. I love it there. It's it's a very cool place. Um, it's for, again, you know, just to um, describe what it's like, it's basically, um, all the walls are covered in like wall paintings, like murals of, of famous artists. I think um, I, can't remember, I think uh, Bob Dylan's in there, Jimi Hendrix, if yeah. I remember correctly. Yeah. Um, but it's amazing when you drive in um, and and you're greeted by that. It just makes for a really creative environment straight away. Yeah. And then you've got trash cans all over the place. Yeah, <laughs> like I have. Building yeah. materials and all sorts of crap. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then these, these amazing um, wall paintings. And then the... As, again, this is one of my favorite places now. When you walk through from the underground garage to um, to the, uh, whatever you call it, the cargo lift, basically. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you walk through 
some like little tunnels basically yeah. and you can really you can see like the original brickwork yeah, um, yeah like 100, 150 year old bricks yeah. um and it really kind of puts you in touch with the with the building i find it really really fascinating yeah. um yeah. i also like the cargo lift mainly because it's, it's like a padded cell yeah it, i know <laughs> it looks like uh, you're in an asylum <laughs> yeah 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 <laughs> i know yeah um also backstage you know there's nothing glamorous about the Albert Hall backstage. Um, if you look at other dressing rooms in other venues, well, not in England, but I mean all over the world, they can be pretty decent, pretty glamorous. But the Albert Hall is still like it used to be. It's very basic. It's very, um, you know, I sometimes think about that like, you know, if you had these people like I just recently worked with Eric Clapton, he arrives through the cargo um, and then he goes into that dressing room. And I think like he must have been used to so many beautiful dressing rooms. And then he arrives here and he's happy because he loves Albert Hall. I find that fascinating. Yeah, yeah, it really is. I mean, even the green room isn't particularly ostentatious there's no green room anymore yeah oh that's right yeah they got rid of it that's it yeah yeah there's only an artist bar now yeah which i quite like actually i do like the artist bar yeah there's a little bar backstage um with very good photography on the walls by the way my daughter had to, my daughter experienced the artist bar uh, firsthand because when she did her last orchestral performance so it's basically um what she's part she's part of um a, a music center or a, a music service in Buckinghamshire. And so um, every every other year, they do an orchestral concert there. Um, um, and, you know, you have hundreds of kids basically descending on the Albert Hall, you know, in yeah. a variety of different orchestral groups and choirs and so on and so forth and perform. Um, and, uh, and so, of course, you know, places like the artist bar and the various dressing rooms then turn into holding pens for children. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So my daughter spent, I think, eight hours in the artist bar on that day <laughs> among like 200 other kids or something, you know. Yeah. And I said to her, like, I said to her, like, do you, do you realize, like, you know, where you, where you are, the, like, the history that's, yeah. that's in this place? Um, and it wasn't until I showed her a photograph of Dave Grohl um, <laughs> that's on the wall there yeah. that it really, because she's a, she, she's, she's 12 now. She's actually, she likes the Foo Fighters. So she, it's recognizable yeah. to her. And I remember, you know, when she saw that picture, it sort of, the penny dropped and she realized, oh, wow, that's Dave Grohl performing on yeah. the stage that I'm going to be performing on, you know, in a minute. I know. So and he was when... in that artist's bar. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, he was there together with Jules Holland. Yeah. Oh, fantastic. For anybody wanting to get into photographing music or, you know, performances or, or live music in general, what would be your one tip? That you would give somebody i think before being a music lover you have to be a photography lover um and you have to know your camera inside out and especially music photography it's very very important to know your camera inside out for me my camera it's basically like my hand you know you don't think about how you use your fingers camera is the same i don't think about my camera how to use it it's just part of me and that's once you reach that point then you can shoot anything you want um 
I think that's very important. But I also think it's very important because I know a lot of people um, are fascinated by the music industry and by performances and being close up uh, of their idols and all that. I think you have to have a real love for photography uh, before you have a love for music because otherwise you won't um, live long. <laughs> you won't keep up with it. Yeah. So technology obviously has changed over the last sort of ten years uh, quite dramatically. I'm, I'm thinking, you know, we've uh, we've moved from DSLRs to mirrorless technology. How's that? How's that changed the way you do your job, or or has it? Mm. Um, I sh still shoot with. The, uh, I'm, I tried mirrorless, but it still doesn't do what I want. Um, like I said earlier, I've come from analog. Um, that was already a very big bridge for me to cross to go to digital. Um, I still, because I shot longer analog than I've shot digital, I still think analog. And when I take pictures, um, I, although I know I don't have to shoot only 24 because that's all that's on the roll, I know I can keep shooting. I still think like that. I still think analog when I'm shooting. And that's why I think I, I can I need to stick with my uh, DLSR because that's the closest to what analog does. Um, also, all the little gadgets that on the camera um, are wasted on me. Um, all I need is my aperture, my ISO, my speed, um, and my autofocus and all the rest is I guess I'm more still old school <laughs> I'll never what do, change. what's what do you think is uh, what is mirrorless uh, technology lacking for you in particular um well I I shot with the mirrorless uh, for a little over a year and it just first of all it didn't frame the way I saw pictures while my DLSR does do that. So there was like a, there was a, it was not much, but there was a difference in between that. I don't think there was a sharp either. I also thought uh, manipulating light with the mirrorless was much, much tougher than what I do with my uh, DLSR. Yeah, there were too many little, and, and I know Probably if I would have stuck out it and, and oh, it's so much lighter to carry around, so it would have been a blessing. But no, I just didn't feel comfortable with it. Who knows? Well, you know, I um, I sort of, uh, I kind of feel with you there actually because I um, I shot for the longest time. I shot an Icon D750 for a very long time. Um, probably for the best part of 10 years, ever since it came out, which must have been about eight, nine, 10 years ago or something. Mm -hmm. um, and I really love that camera. It's it's by contemporary standards, relatively basic, but I really love the way that the uh, that the sensor rendered the um, the images and um, I found them really flexible. Um, also in, in editing, for example, I managed to get some really great results with that and switching to um, this latest mirrorless version. Um, of like cameras, I, yeah, it's, I found that there was a real learning curve, mm. you know? Yeah. 
I and and I that that's the thing. I thought I have to see this through, and maybe it will give that click, you know, that I need. But it just came out always a little bit short for me. Um, it was like I was missing one finger. Um, it just didn't do the full range that I wanted. All the things that I need. Um, I like my camera to do what I want and what I see and not have its own mind. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a real balance between um, like there, there were a number of features on the um, on the on Nikon Z system that I actually I really enjoyed. The eye autofocus was great. I mean, the, the autofocus performance in, in low light is so much faster than on a D750 and, you know, and, and therefore yeah. actually much more fun to, to yeah. shoot with. Um, yeah. But there are, there are some other shortcoming, uh, shortcomings for sure. Yeah, it's, it's, not, it's not quite as, as easy a transition as you might think. No, no, no. It's good. I think it's good like for a fun camera if you just, you know, travel or whatever. Then it's very practical because it's light and it's much more evolved than a compact camera or a bridge camera or whatever you use um but like for really professional pictures no it's not there it's yet. also in, in the studio for instance um you know where you're not you know you're not worrying about changing lighting conditions everything's dialed in um i think you know for me the mirrorless system works works really oh, well yeah. mainly course. because you know mainly because it's the demands are not as heavy on on the camera yeah. itself. You know, you're yeah. dialing everything in, yeah. you're controlling the lighting, yeah. um, and there are some advantages in terms of connectivity. To, for instance, with you know the way it connects to the computer and all that kind yeah. of stuff, yeah. that's really useful. But yeah, in a in a situation like um, I'm actually trying to think, have I shot that Z system in, at an event? I can't remember. Maybe not. Um, but in a, in a situation like an event or um, you know, or obviously live music, it's, it's, it's a very different kettle of fish. And I think it's, it's important to, you know, really be in tune with the tool that you're using to, to create yeah. your photography. Very important. Well, I did, um, I did it for a while, um, because I really wanted to push through with it and, and see through. And after the first song, I would change back to my old one. And then the next show, try one again up first song next back to my old one it just didn't feel right it just didn't feel good how do you think um the the music industry has changed and and with that how have the demands on you changed within that um well i think uh the music industry has become very corporate it's a very corporate environment um it has very little, um, the, the creative part has become much smaller. It's all about contracts. It's all about protecting um, the artist. It's all about facts and figures and, and um, sales and very corporate. Um, the times where people just made music and um, just went out and played and those days are gone it's all strategically there's a marketing team there's a there's a whole apparatus uh, working around them um and it i think it's the little bit it stumps the creativity um and i i don't know for sure but i 
do feel that some artists can't really do what they would like to do because they have to fit into that corporate structure. So whether it's good or bad, I don't know, but it, that's just a sh change that I've seen um, over the past 10, 15 years, maybe. Very corporate. Yeah. Um, so finally, one thing I want to just very quickly talk to you about is um, your book, um, Ed Sheeran. How did that come together? Um, well, it was actually his dad. Um, I went for lunch uh, at his dad's house and uh, they said, it, it just came up like, oh, uh, you've been shooting Ed for 10 years. Well, that's quite a timeline. There must be quite a lot of pictures. And he he kept saying that we should publish a book. And so that started brewing. And then um, I asked his dad, um, would you want to do it with me if we could do it together? Um, and so we sat together, we selected pictures, um, he told stories, I told stories, and that was the book. <laughs> it was as easy as that, actually. Uh, I had a lot of help of uh, Ed's dad with that. Without him, I would never have done it. But it was interesting because, you know, I, I always look forward, I never look backward. And I was forced to look at 10 years of working with Ed Sheeran when he was 17 until he was 27. And I saw for the first time a whole evolution of a young man turning into an adult, but also as an artist, you know, in the beginning, just with his one box and his guitar, and then that growing as well, the size of the venues growing. It was very interesting. So um, it was, um, yeah, I was kind of proud of getting that together. Um, I'm proud of that book because it's something that, you know, it will always be his first 10 years. That's something you can never match again. How long did the whole process take um, to, to put the whole book together? Well, um, I think uh, three months. The thing is that um, I can't remember who put us in touch with them, but somebody put us in touch with the publisher and then the publisher said, um yes we will do it uh there's one problem uh we want everything ready in three months i was like oh okay <laughs> um but then i had to select the pictures write the stories and things had to be proofread and corrected and then pictures had to be styled and it was basically i think three days before the deadline I had finished it, but it was like hell um, to get it all together. It's It was very quick. It usually doesn't happen that fast, but it's just because they wanted it together with, I think he was just going to go on tour or something, and they wanted it to fall together with that, and that the book would be launched. So it was like we had to drive through it very fast. And so finally, what's next for you? What's What's your... Uh, what's coming up for you in the next year or so? Um, well, on uh, Sunday, I fly to Los Angeles. Um, I'm working with uh, uh, Joe Bonamassa. He's doing a show at the Hollywood Bowl, and they're filming that, and I'm doing, doing the stills for that. 
Um, there's a few other things I might also be doing Usher in Paris. He's doing a residency in Paris. Um, Gregory Porter, I'm doing stuff with him. Um, oh, and then I'm also uh, part of a jury of the Seway competition. And we have uh, found our winner. Can't tell you who it is. Um, <laughs> Fantastic. So, so we're going to Hamburg in September. It's going to be the big presentation of the winner, which is kind of fun because I I, I love looking at pictures. So it's one of the favorite things I do. And I love that whole uh, process of uh, selecting the winner and basically having debates with other photographers about what we like and what we don't like. But then you get to meet those people and hear the stories behind it. And I find that always so fascinating. So I'm really looking forward to that one. Christy, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show. Thank you so much uh, for joining us on the podcast today. Um, oh, it was God. a true education. <laughs> well, <laughs> I don't know if you learn anything, but um, yeah, it was fun. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I'm sure. Um, you know, I know concept photography is one of the you know, one of the most difficult disciplines in photography for a lot of listeners um, and viewers. And so it's, you know, it's always great to get um, an insight. And of course, I know that a lot of, you know, a lot of people who listen to this, to this podcast, you know, also like music, you know, because it's, for some reason, you know, the parallels with music always flow into this podcast. And it's mainly because, you know, I used to be a musician. It's just natural, you know, it all, all flows together. Yeah. So um, I think any, you know, any help um, and any aid in when it comes to, you know, um, enabling somebody to, to photograph, you know, music, whether that's in a small pub or bar, um, or whether it's in a, in a big ve uh, venue are always greatly appreciated. I'm sure. Okay, folks, that's all for today. But before we go, let me just recommend another episode that I think you like. Check out episode 134 with Steve Brazel for some more incredible concert photography insights. I'm sure you'll love it. If you enjoy our content, consider supporting us on buymeacoffee.com to help us continue creating and bring you more exciting episodes. Your support means the world to us. And for those of you who are listening to the audio version of this podcast, did you know that there's a fully fledged video version over on YouTube with plenty of examples of our guest photography in full Technicolor? All you have to do is go over to YouTube, search for Camera Shake Podcast, and you'll be able to watch all past episodes on there. And if you are on YouTube already, get in touch and leave a comment. And remember to hit the like button, ring the bell, and share with your friends. You can help us reach a greater audience all over the world. Once again, thank you for listening and watching, and I'll see you again next Thursday. Bye.